NFL Week 9 prop bets and Hitman, it was a frenzy at the trade deadline. What impact did a record number of deals on trade deadline day this past Tuesday have on your prop betting process for Week 9 and perhaps some ramifications for the rest of the season? It's all on an individual basis. Um, I I talked about this on a few other pods, and I guess it's kind of like a prop, but I really like the Detroit Lions under five and a half wins. Um, you could get it at minus 140 right now. It's essentially saying, will the Lions go five and five for the rest of the season? I made the number closer to 3.8 wins or, or something. So I, I thought it was the Lions basically telling us that, you know, this probably isn't our year. And the fact that you trade them to a division rival, I think just further personifies that, that about that they – haven't they're not going to obviously give up on the year but they're not exactly organizationally all in for the remainder of this season so that that was a good bet i thought that's still out there but then with the props it's like it's a case-by-case basis like with raheem mostert lines well how much you expect jeff wilson to play uh there was tj hawkinson lines up how much you it's just case by case with Jeff Wilson, you're like, oh, well, maybe he'll step in earlier and get time because he knows Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel's system. With Hawkinson, you're thinking, oh, maybe that offense is a little bit more complex, so it might take him a little bit more time to get adjusted. So there's not one way to play any of these trades and everything. It's really you just got to see what the number is and then just judge it by a case-by-case basis. I think we'll talk about a few of the names you mentioned as we move through the show. And one name I wanted to bring up as we dig into the Sunday slate would be a player who's probably indirectly going to be more involved, perhaps, in the ground game this week for his team. I want to talk Colts Patriots and Sam Ellinger. I know we don't have a number up yet on his rush yardage prop because of the Jonathan Taylor injury concerns. I was asking you before the show why we still don't have this number. I guess we're just going to have to wait for Taylor to, in all likelihood, be officially ruled out of this one. But Ellinger, it's interesting to me because he closed last week at 26 yards and he posted 15 yards on only six attempts. I think a lot of people thought that he would be more involved in the Colts ground game right out of the gate when he took over for Matt Ryan. And yes, last week's output was skewed by a kneel down at the end of the first half, but still he came well short of his closing total last week. I think that might keep his total in check this week. Again, we've got to wait for official news on Taylor, but additionally, another running back, Naheem Hines, traded from the Colts. So Ellinger might be one of the only viable threats on the ground game for Indy in New England. And on between the lines yesterday, Suma said that at some point, the Colts are going to have to use his legs They also fired their offensive coordinator after last week's loss. And in the second week to tailor their offense to a new quarterback, I've just got to think that Ellinger rush yard overs are going to have some appeal. But now I'm thinking I can't be the only one with this thought. I know I'm not after Adam Turnoff mentioned it on his podcast this morning as well. So a lot of us champing at the bit for a potential Ellinger over hitman. You've mentioned it a few times this year. It all comes down to the number at the end of the day. We need the right price to pair with the proper handicap. Do you have an ETA for when you think we might see Ellinger rush yardage props hit the board? And what kind of number would you need to see in order to get in play? You'll probably see it Friday night when the injury report is completely finalized 
for the Colts. I mean, we've been saying it the past few weeks, a lot of the books have been taking longer and longer to put up prop lines just due to the uncertainty in the market with all the injuries the later you get into the season. Um, his total closed 25 and a half last week. I know there was a lot of services that were giving out his over at the opening line around 24 and a half or so. Um, obviously last week was a little bit of a disappointment for him in the rushing category, but I think you made a, you made a good case and a good handicap to why they're probably going to be more likely to look to run the ball with him. And specifically when you think about all the struggles that Bill Belichick's defense has had against mobile quarterbacks and the, the firing of the offensive coordinator, I, I agree that it probably it all lines up. I mean, if I had to guess, on like a price point where I think it opens and I think it would be playable if you did want to play Ellinger over. I would probably guess like the 21 and a half fish range is probably where we see it and where I would maybe look towards an over. If it does open in the mid, if it opens in the mid twenties or something, then I think, I think it might be accounted for just a little bit because usually if the line closed in the mid twenties last week and he went under by 10 yards or so, usually you're going to get a little bit of a discount the next week. So if you are getting that discount in the low twenties, I think potentially worth a play. Got it. Well, we will keep a close eye on offerings for Sam Ellinger rush yardage. And in the meantime, also want to talk Miami, Chicago. The weather has been a big talking point in this one. Some wind and rain in the forecast, but some of that has been moving around, not necessarily looking like it's going to be a major impact during the game in Chicago on Sunday. So Hitman, what do you think the impact of the latest forecast is having on the way that you're approaching this one from a prop betting standpoint? <sighs> you know, there is supposed to be wind. I mean, initially, so I bet the under in this game, uh, and I think it was Tuesday, and the weather was not looking good as far as it looked like really bad rain and it looked like really bad wind. And we know one thing about Soldier Field is that field does not do well with bad weather, typically. Weather is clearing up. Some wind in the forecast, maybe 15, 20 miles per hour sustained. I tell you what. And a lot of these wind games where even like there's a wind like just like that much, I'm usually looking under or pass. But the thing that makes this one a little bit tough and what probably makes it a pass on Miami passing totals is on one is that this is a game that a lot of sharp people are identifying towards betting overs. And the total probably would have closed 47 if it wasn't for some of this wind. So just it, it makes you think that there probably would have been some value on the overs in Miami passing game. Now you have this wind, maybe that just makes it a pass ultimately. I mean, one thing I can't get out of my head with Tua is he has not been the best bad weather quarterback in his career. If you look back, and there's only been a few times it's happened, but he really, I don't know if it's if it's his lack of arm strength, lack, lack of zip on the ball. Even if you go back and you watch that Lions game from last week where he threw for 400 yards, there was a lot of deep passes that should have been for – touchdowns that Tyreek Hill had to come back for the ball. So now with this wind or whatever, I mean, it's, it's going to affect them a little bit, I think. So ultimately it ends up being a pass or, or an under likely a pass, but I would just continue to monitor that weather report. 
And if the wind puts a damper on Miami's passing attack, uh, another number that we don't have available yet, but I'd like to just get thinking about, and hopefully the audience can find some value and getting some thoughts percolating before we see the market offer some wide availability on Jeff Wilson Jr. rushing yards. And I think on the dream preview this week, the guys made a good point about Wilson and a possible look at the over here. I think that in the last two weeks, we've seen guys like Christian McCaffrey and James Robinson underwhelmed quite a bit in their first games with new teams. Of course, McCaffrey was awesome in his second week as a 49er. But I think based on what we've seen with running backs first week with a new team, maybe the market anchoring to you know, some low outputs from McCaffrey and James Robinson, perhaps a bit of recency bias creeping in. You touched on it off the top. Jeff Wilson Jr., familiar with the Mike McDaniel scheme, so he might step right in and be pretty productive in his first week in a Dolphins uniform. So while I would like to look at the over, again, we need a price on it. Do you have a sense as to when we might see that price and any number that you would need to see to go ahead and pull the trigger on a Jeff Wilson Jr. over this week for Miami. You're probably not going to see something like that until Saturday afternoon slash night or even the day of the game Sunday. It's just hard for books to price. I mean, it's hard for me to even give you a number on what I think it should be. Uh, honestly, there, there's some props that you can make an intelligent decision or an intelligent projection on uh, what you think, uh, you know, this is what I think, this is how much I think they'll use them or whatever. And there's other props that you say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for a beat writer to maybe give me the answers on how much they're going to use on them. A lot of the guys that are acquired in trades, it's usually just a safer, it's safer from, from your aspect just to say, you know what, let me see if somebody else could tell me how much usage this guy is going to get compared to me just guessing how much usage somebody's going to get. So my best guess would be he gets a little bit more usage than some other guys because of how familiar he is with this system. Plus you have the wind. So it could make the, the dolphins a little more run heavy, but probably I'm just probably going to wait on this one, to be honest. And as an alternative for somebody who'd prefer not to wait, I was already to ask you about Raheem Mostert unders, but there was a service that released the under before we got around to recording the show. So now that's down from, I think it was about 64 and a half last night as I started to formulate some thoughts for this show down from 64 and a half to a current number of 61 and a half for Mostert. Is there any meat left on the bone if you like Jeff Wilson and there's not a number for him yet? So this is like an alternative angle to get in play at the same concept. Or do you think with Mostert's total dropping three yards in the past 12 hours or so, we're best off just waiting to see what we get with Wilson? I think Mostert lines could have could have some value still on the under, but I just think that you might be better off just waiting. I mean, I could break down what I think is going to happen. But at the end of the day, I ultimately don't know. But I think that because of that, you might just be better off waiting to see if you could get some type of report uh, on what this backfield will look like. And uh, I said last week, the best prop better in the world is the guy that has the best information. And you could see, a, or theoretically, you could see something on Sunday where some information does come out that maybe there's value on Mostert over. Maybe there's a report that says, you know, Wilson's not ready to play and Mostert's going to be the guy. Then maybe he'd have value on the under. Maybe there's reports saying, hey, Wilson is going to be splaying the carries already. And then Mostert under has value. So I think that this situation is mostly a wait and see. 
All right, and there's plenty of wait and see through these first couple games, Indy, New England, and Miami, Chicago. But Hitman, I'm excited to ask you about a prop that is currently on the board. Go figure, on a Friday afternoon, we've got some props available this week. And that takes us to Minnesota at Washington and the Vikings' newest tight end, TJ Hawkinson. On Between the Lines yesterday with Sumo, we touched on the trade deadline a bit, and he mentioned the Hawkinson move as one that would have probably a bigger impact over the course of the rest of the season, specifically, you know, December, January onward, as opposed to week nine specifically for the Vikings. That got me thinking about a possible look at a Hawkinson under, and we do see some of these Hawkinson receiving yardage props available now. It looks like the consensus number 34 and a half, but some pretty hefty juice attached to that, looking like a price point about minus 140 to take Hawkinson under that 34 and a half. What do you think of the number? And is there a maximum big price point that you would say is the cutoff in terms of whether or not to go ahead and get in play? Yeah, Hawkinson under was a good bet. It was at 37 and a half on the opener. That was a good bet. I still lean towards the unders at the, the current market. Um, probably think around it fair should maybe be in the low 30s, around th the 31 mark. So sometimes I won't be opposed to laying that minus 135 on 34 and a half if I think that the line should be 29 and a half, increase. something like that. So, I, I mean, I, I think you could only look towards Hawkinson unders. Um, Adam Thielen was quoted of saying in the offseason, this is the most complex offense I've ever had to learn. And TJ Hawkinson, unlike Jeff Wilson, obviously has no experience in this offense and tight end is a position that typically you always see like rookie tight ends struggle early in their career typically because it's just a hard position to learn because you got to basically learn how to catch like a receiver and you got to learn how to block like an offensive lineman so i could see hawkinson being a little bit limited in this one so i think that the only direction you can look in something like this is towards the unders on tj hawkinson all right, fair enough. Well, there's something concrete on the board right now that we can put some good thought into. And I also want to ask you about another game, the Panthers and the Bengals. Just generally, we talked last week about the Jamar Chase injury and, and speculating as to what this might mean for the Cincinnati offense. We saw a pretty disconcerting effort from that offense on Monday Night Football against the Browns. And now that we've seen one week of the Bengals without Jamar Chase, any thoughts from a prop betting standpoint involving that Bengals offense week two without Chase hosting the Panthers this time around? Um, the, the play that I made when the Chase stuff did happen or when, when the lines got adjusted is that Tyler Boyd got bet up pretty big. He was at 66 and a half last week against the uh, the Browns. I bet his under thought it was too big of an adjustment. I thought mid fifties was still a fair number for him. Uh, he went under pretty easily. I'm still seeing 60 and a half-ish right now on Boyd. I think that might still have some value. Um, the Panthers are an offense that's unlikely to threaten the Bengals much. I know they had that big offensive game last week against Atlanta, but let's be real. This is one of the worst offenses in the league. So they really didn't threaten um, – they really didn't threaten much, or I don't expect them to threaten much, the Bengals – so you could see some garbage time where they're running the clock out at, in the fourth quarter. And I just think that Boyd, like, I mean, at 60 receiving yards, you're saying that over like the course of a full season, he's like an 1100 yard guy. And I, I just don't know if I could get there with, with, with Boyd. He's a solid player. He's a good, 
very good, very good third receiver. But one thing you got to remember about these injuries is when they happen, you're moving guys up the depth chart. And now Boyd's getting the second corner instead of the third corner, and he's getting more defensive attention. So that was really the only thing that stood out with me with that game right now. Not many prop lines, but I thought that Boyd under was uh, potentially worth a look. And it might be telling Boyd under at some sharper books that will take a big bet. Juiced pretty heavily. I'm seeing Caesars at 60 and a half, minus 145 to the under. A few of the other regulated books and some offshores as well, more in the range of 60 and a half, even some 61 and a half that are pretty flat in the range of minus 115. How telling do you find that to be if you see like a Caesars at minus 145 and other books just, you know, laying a flat price as far as the juice goes? Yeah, Caesars is the sharper buck. They're the book that takes action. They'll take at least $1,000 on props and they'll move the line aggressively off of it. So and, and I always say this, it's rarely if, you, if you're looking at a prop and two, there's two books with two different lines, typically if Caesars, Caesars more, more often than not will be the sharper side for sure. All right, so a good look at Tyler Board possibly Tyler Boyd, excuse me, possibly struggling to eclipse the 60-yard threshold from a receiving yardage standpoint against the Panthers on Sunday. Hitman, last game I want to ask you about today, Rams at the Bucks. This game has lost a lot of luster since the schedule was released based on the way these two teams have performed throughout the first half of the season. But I know it's your biggest prop betting game of the week, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah, a lot of, lot of props I'm looking at in this game. Um Cooper Cup, his line is not up right now, and I am going to have to monitor a lot of the beat writers on what they're saying his health is like. Let's see what his practice reports are like. Um, a lot of the Twitter doctors, you can maybe get a feel of what they think. If it does check out, I lean towards his overs. He's absolutely killed the Bucks and his history of going against them. I mean, it, that's going to be – and it, I bet – cup over 92 and a half last week it didn't get there but he went over that going into that game 75 percent of his games over the last year and a half like i know people there's a stigma out there like oh you shouldn't bet the best players over it's such a square pick to take cooper cup over well i don't i mean if the books aren't adjusting to what he's the production he's been having then it's it's not as square as you think so i mean i i thought and especially in a matchup that the Rams are just, they can't run the ball. And Matthew Stafford has been a blitz killer throughout his career. So you would theoretically see that if someone got the production, it would be Cup. So monitor the injury report. I'm not committing to anything with Cooper Cup right now. It would probably be a last-minute play even if I made it. But I was looking towards his overs potentially. Um, Tampa side is where I have more conviction. Brady under 272.5 pass yards. The talk out of Tampa all week, got to run the ball more, got to run the ball more, got to run the ball more. Well, they're the 32nd ranked rush offense right now in yards per carry. But I'm, I'm, I believe them when they say they're going to run the ball more. And that's just going to put you in a lot more third and longs, put you in a lot more three and outs in all likelihood. So I, I thought that Brady's under was potentially worth a look. And then um, Mike Evans. He's the receiver that I think suffers uh, in this matchup and due to the, the running more from Tampa. Um, Evans is at 68 and a half receiving yards right now. I saw a stat from Rich Rebar 
said that Mike Evans has a 12% less target share against zone coverage compared to man. That is absolutely like, that's huge, a 12% difference. So he has that going against them. He has the fact that Jalen Ramsey, I know the Rams have not been great against number one receivers this year, but you would theoretically think that Jalen Ramsey is going to be the guy that's going to be on him. Godwin's the guy that gets the big target boost against zone coverage. So I thought there was a lot of things lining up to potentially play a Mike Evans under. And Rashad White is at 38 and a half rushing receiving yards. We got to see White last week against Baltimore. Got a little bit more usage. He's been getting a lot, a little bit more usage each week. And that's been the talk out of Tampa. We got to get White the ball a little bit more. and We got to run the ball more. So I think that would be beneficial towards Rashad White overs. All right. A lot of good stuff to consider for Tampa Bay. And I want to circle back to one more point you addressed with the Rams. Matthew Stafford, as you mentioned, uh, being a blitz killer, also looking towards some overs for cut potentially pending the word we get from him and his status for the game. But Pertaining to Stafford, past yards, I'm seeing 249.5 is a consensus number. And again, a book like Caesars, uh, minus 142 VIG on the under right now. A lot of other books more in the flat minus 115 range on 249.5. Is that an area where you might consider a Matthew Stafford over considering Todd Bowles' propensity to throw the blitz at him, regardless of how well he's handled it historically? I'm going to wait a little bit more. I think we might get a better number. There was a service that gave out Stafford under, I think it was like 258 and a half. They gave out the DraftKings only opener. So that moved the line there. And then the market copied. Um, a lot of times the, the line will just continue to creep down a little bit more. So I think maybe we get an even better number on Stafford. And again, not committing to a Stafford over. I mean, I'm going to have to really be comfortable with Cooper Cup's health. health. If I'm going to play anything with Cup over, anything with Stafford over. So it's going to probably, if I do, it's going to be a last minute thing. But I, um, I think that that's where the value would potentially be is in uh, Stafford and Cup overs. But again, highly permitting based on health. Understandably, a lot of non-committal takes with some of these players and some of these numbers or the lack thereof when it comes to some of these numbers being available at this stage of the week. But as we move into the segment of the show where we lock in some picks and make the props and hops week nine portfolio official, Hitman, any bets that you do feel comfortable committing to and locking in right now? Let's go with Mike Evans under 68 and a half receiving yards. And we'll double dip with the Evans under 272 and a half. I know or excuse me, the Brady under 272 and a half. I know a little bit correlated, probably you're more likely than not to win both or lose both. But I think that they're solid plays this week. I am seeing Evans at some books at that flat minus 115 price point for under 68 and a half. Other books, it seems more common to see him in the range of minus 135. Is that stretching it a bit too far or, or where'd you draw the line for Evans yeah, under 135, stretching a little bit too much, but you're going to get, even if you don't get 68 and a half minus 115, you'll get 66 and a half minus 115, something like that. I like it down to 65 and a half. Got it. Good to know that 65 and a half is a good floor when we're looking at flat VIG. Similarly with Brady, the juice seems to be all over the place with his passing numbers. Assuming that, you know, flat price point, I know that 272 and a half is available right now at some shops, um, but where that's heavily juiced, if people want to wait to lay minus 115, what's the yardage floor at which you would play the Brady passing yards under? Let's say 267 and a half. So five yards lower than current market. 
Got it. All right. Still some wiggle room to work with. I will throw out a speculative look again. Ellinger, we talked about it off the top. We don't have numbers yet, but if we do see him open in the range of 21 and a half, then I'll definitely look toward his over. And then I also wanted to mention a prop that has been the bread and butter of this show throughout the first couple seasons of Props and Hops. And I think we talked about it once early on this season, but now I'm seeing more availability across both the regulated and offshore books. And that would be a prop shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I think it happens a lot more often than the casual better might think. And specifically this week, I'm looking at the Packers and Lions shortest touchdown under one and a half yards minus 150. That can seem like a pretty steep price. But if we look at the math here, this game has the highest total on the board at 49 and a half more points, obviously bodes well for the prospects of more touchdowns and a lot of touchdowns bodes well for the prospect of at least one one yard touchdown. And going beyond the math here, from a handicapping standpoint, Detroit has seen 13 one-yard touchdowns scored through seven games this season. Only one Lions game so far this season hasn't featured a one-yard touchdown. And Jamal Williams himself, I feel like every week when I'm looking at the ticker, when I'm watching Sunday Ticket, Williams is plowing it in from the one. He has four one-yard scores himself already this season. On the Packers end, they could be the fly in the ointment here. They somehow haven't scored a one-yard touchdown through eight games. And I know when Rodgers had Devontae Adams, it seemed like every week hooking up Rodgers to Adams from the one was the way that that Packers offense would go. So I can see where there could be some trepidation on the Packers side of things. But the Packers offense probably hasn't faced a defense as bad as Detroit so far this season. So if the Packers can get on the board with a one-yard score of their own, I think this is a week where the matchup would make that fairly likely to happen. Overall, again, getting back to the availability, I'm seeing this posted at several offshores, multiple of the mainstream regulated books. I, I like the price point of minus 150 at Bet Online as a leading offshore shop for props like this. And as always, shop around. I am seeing this as low as minus 120 out there, but let's go with minus 150 as a consensus price. Hitman, any thoughts on this look at shortest touchdown in the Packers Lions game? Yeah, it's a probability bet. So it really is price sensitive. So it just goes back to look for your outs and look at what they're dealing on something like that. It's, it's a very price sensitive bet. So that would be the best advice I would give with um, that, with that prop. Sounds good. And getting back to something we've uh, attempted weekly on this show with mixed results, to put it kindly, the teasers, Two and six through eight weeks. I felt good last week, just needing the Rams to hold up their end of the bargain after teasing them up through a touchdown. Uh, they closed as a favorite, as Zuma correctly anticipated. They had a lead late in the third quarter, had more than 10 points to play with, and, and go figure, uh, another teaser ticket up in flames. But trying to stick with the process here, looking this week at Seattle plus eight at Arizona, paired with New Orleans plus eight and a half at Baltimore, on the Seahawks side of things, it seems like with each passing week, Geno Smith is further solidifying himself as a surprisingly good quarterback in the NFL in 2022. Pete Carroll seems to be really developing that defense soundly as the season progresses. The last three weeks, a night and day difference from what we saw out of Seattle to start the season. And also part of this, a bet against the Cardinals being able to defeat any opponent that brings anything to the table by a sizable margin. In the second leg with the Saints, it's looking like the Ravens have some injury concerns. So it's it's not just another week of New Orleans dealing with the injury bug, but the Saints obviously uh, get an opponent this week that has lost receiver number one, Rashad Bateman, for the season. Mark Andrews uh, not looking like he's going to go. 
And also from a market rating standpoint, Circa, the low man on the totem pole, New Orleans only plus one and a half at Circa, but a lot of other books still hanging plus two and a half for the time being. I think that's going to trickle down over the next couple of days. And this year we've seen it crossing through the eight and teasers does matter. So I feel like getting New Orleans up to plus eight and a half could essentially be getting seven points of value, if not a touch more considering the closing line price when really we're just paying for six points right now to get them up through that eight to plus eight and a half Hitman, any thoughts on this Seahawks Saints teaser or perhaps any other teaser legs this week that people are considering? I know Cincinnati down to minus one is pretty popular as well as the Jags plus seven and a half. Yeah, I played Cincinnati and um, Seattle, but I think that was a really sharp point about you see Circa moving to one and a half and you could tease two and a half to eight and a half at other books. I mean, more likely than not, the line's going to move. The consensus price is going to move towards the Circa line more times than not. So if you could gobble up, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, two and a half to one and a half. It's not that big of a difference. But when you're teasing, it is a difference. So I thought that was a good point with any Saints teasers. All right. Thank you. If you think that any points that I make are sharp at all, then I will uh, take that compliment and run with it. So to recap quickly, the props and hops week nine portfolio, we've got Tom Brady under 272 and a half passing yards. Consider that good down to 267 and a half. Mike Evans under 68 and a half receiving yards. Consider that good down to 65 and a half. Um, nothing we can lock in officially at this point, but keep an eye out for Sam Ellinger props looking at rush yards over in the ballpark of 21 and a half. And we can lock in Packers-Lions, shortest touchdown, under one and a half at minus 150, as well as a teaser. Hopefully, we'll get our third teaser win of the season in week nine. Uh, Seattle plus eight at Arizona, paired with New Orleans plus eight and a half hosting Baltimore. This point, want to weave in the hops, as we always do, to close out the show these days. Jacob, let's lead off with you. What do you have on tap this weekend? Uh, so this weekend, going to my favorite bar, downtown Toronto. It's a bar called Town Crier at John and Adelaide. That's the intersection and this bar, Belgian-themed, tons of Belgian beer on tap, tons of Dutch beer on tap. So for this weekend, um, really looking forward to that. Two in particular, I'm really looking forward to having. And Matt, I know you you like at least one of these. Delirium Tremens on tap, one of the best beers in the world, um, widely regarded. And I'm sure many people listening are aware of it. So I'm going to have at least a couple of those ones at the bar. Um, nice and strong, very flavorful, very good f- good taste. I, think, I feel like it's around 7-8%. I'm not quite sure. And then another one that I'm interested in is La Trappe. It's a, I believe this one is a Dutch beer. There's La Trappe Triple and Quadruple. If they have it, I'll go for the Quadruple. If not, I'll go for the Triple. The Quadruple gets uh, just above 10%, I think, on the alcohol level. But two really, really tasty beers. And you can you find some really good stuff from that part of Europe when it comes to beer. They know what they're doing. Two tasty ones I'm looking forward to trying or to having more of this weekend. You're going with the heavy hitters because Delirium Tremens, I did a quick uh, real-time Google search, and 8.5% yeah. ABV is where that one clocks in, and that's lighter than the quad you mentioned. So it yeah. sounds like you're going for some of the heavy hitters, and those are great beers. Do you ever go with a Saison? I feel like of the Belgian styles, that's my unsung hero, and those are often in the 5% ABV range. I know some American breweries will crank out Saisons that can approach 7%. Still a bit lighter than some of the options you mentioned and not really lacking for flavor at the same time. Yeah, I don't know if this quite fits that same uh, same for a, for a saison, but uh, I, another one I do like from the place, I forget, I don't quite know where it's from, but Leafman's makes a really good fruity beer. It's about 4%. That's a good one to mix in. Uh, I can't quite remember the name right now. I just 
order it there. It's uh, it's it's red, but it's super super flavorful, and it's nice to you know because you're mixing in some strong ones. I guess it's good to have one that's easier to get down, that's super flavorful and fruity. Nice. Yeah, I think with Leafman's at uh, Bet Bash Hitman, there were some nights up at the Legacy Club, and I think they had it was a framboise, so it was like a raspberry sour. Yeah, yeah, it was really good, and they had bottles of that at Legacy Club and. And throwing that back with that view of Las Vegas, that was just a tough scene to beat with that view and that kind of company. So, <laughs> Jacob, you're going to be doing it well this weekend. I will quickly note that I will be paying a visit to my favorite brewery, Green Cheek. And this weekend, it'll be to their new location in Sunset Beach, which is a part of Huntington Beach, just coastal Orange County. Absolutely beautiful down there. On one side, I'll have a view of the Pacific Ocean. On the other side, a view of the Tennessee-Georgia game Saturday afternoon. And I will be drinking a Green Cheek IPA called West Coast IPA is Dead. So as you might gather by the name, it is a West Coast IPA. It features Simcoe and Citra hops, clocks in at 7.2% ABV. And also, as the name would imply, it's kind of the anti-hazy IPA and that it's clear, it's bitter, and it tastes more like a beer than fruit punch, I guess you could say. And don't get me wrong, I love a good hazy IPA. But I also love a good throwback to the classic West Coast IPA times. And Green Cheek does that about as well as anybody. And weaving in the Malinsky Minute here, Dave loved to pair beer with food. And I'm going to be pairing West Coast IPA is dead with Green Cheek's awesome breakfast burrito that they've got at their Sunset Beach location. I think the tater tots and the avocado and their breakfast burrito really set it apart from most of the others that I've had. Really a case of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts when we get to that kind of beer and food pairing. So a lot to look forward to on my end this weekend. Hitman, I'm guessing you're going to be on the golf course. So for you, I've just got to ask, over under two vodka Red Bulls during your round of golf tomorrow? Under. <laughs> <laughs> under. I sucked last week. I, I, I usually shoot in the mid-90s. I shot a 104. So I got I to gotta get my, uh, my crap straight, uh, as they say. I, I, I got I to gotta focus. So... Maybe just one to, to keep keep the tension away. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, th- I feel like uh, with golf or a lot of times I've heard people say with something like bowling, any sport you can play adequately with a drink in your hand. It seems like some people would say if they have two or three, it'll loosen them up and they'll perform better. But in your case, maybe it's, hey, last week wasn't so great. If you scale back, then you think that'll have you sharper on the course tomorrow, huh? Yeah, in all likelihood, I just suck. So that, that, that's, that's probably the common denominator, not the alcohol, but I'll probably have one and uh, try to play a little bit better this week. Well, one thing we can say for sure, you do not suck when it comes to prop betting. Always appreciate the insight at this time every week. Everybody can follow Hitman on Twitter at Hitman428. You can follow me at MLandis18. Jacob and I will be back with Suma for Between the Lines at our regular Wednesday time next week to explore NFL Week 10 line moves. Until then, everybody, enjoy Week 9 in the NFL. Thanks for tuning in, and best of luck with your betting and beer adventures this weekend. Props and ups, props and ups.